This talk was given at Insight Meditation South Bay. For more information and a schedule of our events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, if there's plenty of coughs and uh, other disturbances from my body, then you'll forgive me. Um, someone said to me, you're crazy going around America when you're sick. I've been sick for the last couple of weeks and I'm still a bit sick. And I said, if I was a self, I would stay at home. <laughs> The only reason I'm coming to the States on a tour like this is because I don't really know who's doing it. The body can be sick, but I am, you know, I. <laughs> um, so thank you very much for uh, the invitation, as I said. And I chose equanimity as a subject um, because we're in, an, in a way another place in the Dharma. And I've been involved in the Dharma for more than 40 years, and we're in another place. In other words, Buddhist teachings are on the street, Grant Avenue, or Tel Aviv, uh, San Jose, a mountain view, it doesn't matter, New York, uh, Greenland. The, the, the Buddhist teachings arrived in the West, and what's been happening over this period of time is a development of the teachings. So where it's true that millions of people just say, well, I know... It's all about mindfulness, and if I'm mindful, uh, everything will be all right. That's not the case. Uh, when I actually, I've been going to a lot of pubs and bars in Israel because I'm talking to young people, and someone did come to me and say, uh, "If I'm mindful, will I be completely happy? Will my problems be solved?" <laughs> I said, "No." <laughs> and mindfulness is the gate, but what's the garden? And the garden is awakening. And in a way, that's because I wrote the book because of that. The book is about what is an awakened point of view to our daily life, including being sick, and including aging, and including work, and including money, but also including memory, and including the soul, and including the divine, so it has to go all the way. Buddhist teachings now, I think, has, have really landed in the West. And that's why equanimity is really a subject which is not in the sort of first grade. Um, but yet, uh, we really need it. We're living at a time of uh, extraordinary anxiety. It's never been like that. I mean, I'm an old hippie. I, I don't remember any, any period in history where people have been so anxious and worried and there's been such a, a lack of meaning and concerns. So we really do need to draw from the Buddhist teachings for um, direct ways in which we can go deeper and find steadiness and find ease and find ourselves uh, in equanimity, steadiness in the midst of uncontrollable life that we cannot control and we're not in charge of it. Life is in charge of us. We're not in charge of life. What are we going to do with that? We're going to fight all the time and try and get things better and cope, try and just our whole life coping or we're going to have equanimity, a bigger sense of presence with which we can hold the uncontrollable events of life. So it, uh, the emphasis, why uh, the emphasis? I think one uh, telling uh, quote from the Buddha. It's important when he because of when he said it, not because exactly of what he said. Just before he died, really, one of the last words before he died is, "Be an island to yourself." And I think that's fascinating, that just before he died, that's the, 
more or less the final last words of the Buddha. And it shows the importance of being steady and being uh, settled and being an island. I know island has a number of different um, images, but it, it, the image he meant is autonomy. Stand your ground, never mind where the whole of the herd can be going in one direction or in a non-wise direction. The whole society can be going off the wall, uh, but stay steady with your center, with your autonomy, with your feet on the ground. And um, have that confidence. And the way, what it does for us, and it's very fundamental, is that we will meet the difficulties of our life from a place of autonomy. We will meet head-on the difficulties of our life. Instead of running away, instead of trying to fix them all the time, instead of trying to deny them, instead of trying to shut them out, uh, close them down, uh, pretend they're not there, uh, build a comfort zone like the Buddha, the Buddha's castle, uh, build comfort and so on. We c- we're, if we're steady, we can meet our difficulty head on and we'll be all right. And it's a very, very powerful message, fi- final message. Um, and um, so it asks us to look a bit more deeply. And the question I'm you know, throwing out to you, wh- where is our protection? Is our protection uh, in comfort or diversions like screens and and t- and you know screens and screens? I mean, it, it's probably the same here, but in Israel, you will not go on a. You cannot find a person on a, the railway trains there because there's not one person that will lift out their eyes and look at anybody else because they're all stuck on their screens. doesn't matter which age, from the age of kind of three years old to the age of 90. They're all like this, the whole, the whole, uh, uh, I mean, people are devastated, they're totally in it. Um, so um, our protection can be escape, our protection can be building comfort, our protection, as I say, can be uh, making walls against a difficulty. But equanimity asks us to do something different, which is to build an internal, invisible protection, which is different. And so, what? Uh, so, what did the Buddha say to his uh, to his uh, monks? Be an island to yourself. What, what did he say actually? How to do that? And uh, what he said is very basic, he said, um, be in total presence. Be totally present in the now, in the life inside and the life outside. Be where you are completely. Be in the center of your life. That's, that's your protection. And um, he used the word uh, apamada, uh, in the in the Pali, Apamada is not quite the same as mindfulness. It has a quality of care, so it's it is a mindfulness with care, Apamada, uh, slightly different tone to the awareness. Um, it's not mechanical. Mindfulness can sometimes be mechanical. Apamada is not mechanical at all. It's it's caring. Um, it's just a bit like we. My meditation instructions, in a way, apamada, listening with care to a voice in the body that says, uh, I'm uncomfortable. It's not just being a mechanical uh, computer. It's really having care to, I'm listening, I'm there for you. So that's apamada. And so so I want to sort of give a few summary of how to develop equanimity. and that's the first thing, apamada. Uh, be in the center of your experience. It's the safest place. Strangely, you might feel, well, my experience is not pleasant. Actually, if we dive into it, we are an, in a better place than what we build out of it, 
which is all the escapes and the denials and the justifications and the thoughts about it and complaints about life and complaints about the prime minister and whatever <laughs> and the you know the president here sorry i'm but our prime ministers in in israel is just the same just the same stuff you know it it it, it, it could be prime minister <laughs> Sorry, you still hearing? It's all right? It's okay? Yeah. All right. So the, the, there's something very, very fundamental in the Buddhist teaching, which is core principle. You can't look for relief, for enlightenment, for equanimity, for peace, anywhere else except in the heart of experience. There isn't anywhere else to look for. You can run and run and run and run, but you cannot get there. It's only in when you stop and look in the heart of your experience, you will find a place there which is not the stories and the runnings and the fixings. and the, uh, uh, it, it, It's just... The moment is perfect, but we forget it because we build around it all kinds of layers and layers and layers. So that's a very sort of basic, uh, and, and it's really written into the, um, the, um, the last words of the Buddha. The second uh, place um, is, I would say, non-attachment and non it's what we learn when we look in the heart of experience that the heart of experience doesn't have in it a need to have in it a very strong label called me. Doesn't need to. So, I mean, I'm just, you know, I was joking about my coughs and so on, but so coughing is happening. Or, I have a cough and it's a problem and where can I go? And the doctor says this and the doctor didn't say that. And, and, and it's, it has all these consequences and thoughts and which medicine is better, which medicine. Or, there's a cough happening. At the same time, it doesn't mean that you don't look after yourself. Non-attachment doesn't mean uh, giving up and being a kind of vegetable. Because of, of course you're going to look after yourself. But how are you going to look after yourself? with worry, with concern, with escape, with issues, with all, you just say, oh yeah, I need to take a medicine, I'll, do the, I'll take the best one. So it's, it's a lightness. The, the real protection and the equanimity, the inner protection, is in the heart of experience, uh, we find there a sense of non-attachment, lightness of being, that we're not really endlessly busy with coping with the needing to cope we're not busy with it of course we cope why not? the Buddha had a doctor also well, of course when the Buddha was hungry he went to collect food he would say oh I'm the Buddha I don't need to eat of course if the food wasn't there so he was hungry but he didn't say you know I'm beyond biology <laughs> the, the, so we look after ourselves but the non-attachment is a core basis for equi equanimity and steadiness in our life a balance uh, a balance okayness in the midst of our uncontrollable life and that lightness is really important so here I do want to um, uh, talk a little bit about the piecework uh, that we've been doing in Israel because it's relevant. Um, so I've been working many, many years in piecework with Israelis and Palestinians and uh, clearly it's a real sensitive place and conflict which has been a hundred years and is so rooted in the culture so it's going to pop up in every moment, in everywhere between 
people. Um, but, it, but let's face it, it's also here. It's not that it's in your workplace and in your family and in, there's no place without conflict. It, it just having a self or an ego, there'll be conflict. So although we've got a sort of special, uh, a special kind of concentration of uh, conflict out there, but it, it's not that different from everywhere. Um, and, um, and we did a lot of uh, beautiful things like... Um, peace walks uh, all through Israel and Palestine in which Israelis and Palestinians walking quietly in a long line young Israelis and young Palestinians or old and walking in a line through the countryside through the cities, through Jerusalem, Tel Aviv through uh, Nablus or West Bank um, and emanating steadiness just by our steps and the quietness and saying we can be different and it's a kind of making a statement by our bodies by our presence so one that's one of the very simple models which is offering a model which is not conflict and when there is conflict uh, between people, we are all the time working, been working with it. Uh, so, two people who are in conflict with each other, say an Israeli and Palestinian. So, all the time we are working to um, to uh, uh, reduce the fuel that that is fueling the fire, and we do this by deep listening, by saying, "Wait a minute, let's check your life." Please tell me about your life. Please tell me about your children. Start there. Your children, your family, where you live, your street. And then gradually asking, well, what about you know, the pain that you feel and the difficulties of your life and what you're going through in your daily life? Really, share both Israeli and Palestinian. And so a lot of work in dialogue, uh, in dyads, in which we actually see the other. And in the case of very deep conflict, like in our case, we built that around um, quite, a very, quite a well-constructed method so that we spent a day, for example, uh, we did this in workshops, uh, and we spent a day just relaxing together and having tea and, and, and trying to express each other's names in Arabic and Hebrew and, and, and making jokes about the politicians and just anything to p- get people to feel safe and relax. And then we can do the work uh, because the work is undoing labels. And the l- labeling is you have someone opposite you and it can be, like I say, in your ordinary life, at work. I believe in, I think you're wrong I think you're making mistakes and, and I'm right. Uh, you know, every day, no? Uh, family, family fights, oh my God. <laughs> um, but if you see how much investment, fuel, is put into protection, I'm like this and I feel like that and my, my view is like this and i and, and they're not listening to me, and uh, I, uh, uh, I'm not being respected in my place and the other. They're against me, and they're there. So the barriers of defense leading to separation and labeling, and then the sense of the other being just an opposing force, kind of, that you need external protection, all of that can be melted by some basic communication, mindfulness, steadiness, readiness to listen, to look what's behind the eyes of the other person, what's happening behind the eyes, what's happening in their heart. And uh, it can't always be done. I mean, uh, sometimes you cannot. And I, I, I remember, you know, loads of times going to 
getting a taxi in Tel Aviv or somewhere and the taxi driver just bursts with a stream of hate against Arabs or the Palestinian taxi driver hate against Israelis. And, uh, and I think I, can, I, can, I just feel I have nothing to say in those situations. Sometimes you cannot. Uh, let's, be, you know, let's not try and be too idealistic. But many, many, many times you can. There's a lot you can do. Um, and um, by the way, the, Bu- the Buddha said, if you can't argue with somebody because they're so full of emotions and they're so full of views, there's one thing you can do, which is be equanimous. He, the Buddha said, in situations like this, never underestimate the power of equanimity. Which is a beautiful phrase. Beautiful, touching phrase. And never underestimate the power of equanimity. And it does work. By the way, um, so one personal story, one time in, in one of the workshops we did with Israelis and Palestinians, um, I thought I blew it as the facilitator. Uh, suddenly, all the Palestinians and all the Israelis, uh, it was like 50, we, we, all, we, we kept bringing 15 Israelis to the Palestinian areas for these workshops, meeting 15 Palestinians. And generally, there would be people that would be ready to meet each other. But they wouldn't necessarily be very left-wing or whatever. Um, and all kinds of people, from academics to farmers and so on. So at one point, uh, they all started to shout at each other in the room. And I thought, oh, I blew it. And they were screaming at each other, oh, you, you Israeli, you killing us, your soldiers in the streets shooting... And the Pal- and 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 Israeli, you you Palestinians, you bomb buses and, blah, 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 and screaming, screaming, screaming. I said, I thought, well, I blew it. Nothing I can do. So I just sat quietly in the middle. I, I sat on my chair in the middle of the pandemonium, quietly. After five minutes, it all sort of settled down. I turned to the Palestinian uh, facilitator, Rauda, said to her, Rauda. Uh, sorry, I blew it. She said, no, you didn't. Your equanimity, sitting there quietly, the whole thing settled down after five minutes. It could have gone on all day. You got <laughs> So, um, you know, never... Un- that, that's a personal story. Um, so I'd like to read a little piece from my book, which... Um, kind of expresses all of this, I think. Uh, expresses, in a way, the whole Dharma in, in one paragraph. Um, just give us a sense of uh, what it's like to have that quality of uh, non-attachment in the heart of experience and allowing things to be exactly the way they are. And it's in a chapter called A Joyful Life Despite our painful memories. We might ask how is it possible not to identify with memory if it forms who we are and our individuality. Indeed, memory is a form of shaping. I live, that's me here, uh, alongside lots of olive trees in the north of Israel, which have an amazingly expressive character that clearly shows everything that has happened to them. If a branch has been cut, or if the tree reaches out in a certain direction, or lumps are formed on the trunk, or dry weather makes the leaves fall, you can see it. The shaping of the tree is its memory, its sankhara, response to conditions. And the tree doesn't have a problem with that. And there is no reason why we should have a problem either. We are also just shaped, constructed by life. We are given a body, and it develops and changes dynamically according to conditions. And we arrive in each moment as we are. And the world arises and meets us 
as it is. And all we need to do is to appreciate it and let it be. Stories are just stories. Narratives are just narratives. And embodiment is just embodiment. If we let go into this flow of life, the wounds will dissolve. The scars will be softened and brought back to life. And we will find ourselves in the garden of the now instead of the prison of yesterdays. A difficult experience can come up just like an unpleasant visitor arriving in our house. We can cry and the next minute we can laugh and then he's gone. So a third direction for finding equanimity in this uncontrollable life I call the big view. And um, the Buddha said something very interesting which has been for me 40 years uh, guidance. He said, bend your mind to liberation. Keep yourself interested in liberation. He didn't say, you've got to do it this, only this way, or only that way, or only through this teacher, or only through this uh, method. If he had only one method, there, wasn't, there wouldn't be 10,000 suttas. <laughs> but the theme of keeping interested in liberation, bend your mind. In the, bend your mind is not be hungry for liberation and extreme and be a hero. It's bend your, keep going, keep yourself in the direction of liberation. And I think this is a big view which is really important to help us to be, to be in equanimity in our, in our life. It gives us, for example, um, a sense of a relational understanding. Things happen because of conditions. We are in relationship all the time. We're, 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 we're just carbon and oxygen, actually. That's all we are. The Buddha said, all you are is a bunch of uh, oatmeal. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're made by conditions. And that's all we can say, really. And experiences come because of conditions. And so if we understand that, it doesn't mean, again, we, that we just give up. No one says we shouldn't do anything about conditions if we want to change something. But we understand them as conditions that are constantly changing and we work with that uh, and, and not fight the conditions but work with them. So this big view of the sort of relational understanding of reality, us and the world, is, um, is a, a real key to, uh, I think, a, an equanimous and, and liberated life. So I have to say that there is um, a problem that is equanimity is often misunderstood as indifference. And it's very, it, it, it always comes up because it's, it's just very understandable that people say, well, yes, I can be equanimous and, and, and just shut the door and then and be equanimous as long as the door is shut uh, uh, and um, you know I'm in the five star zone uh, so I can be equanimous as long as I can keep out the, the unpleasant visitors and that's not equanimity it's indifference so you have to understand that which, and because it's subtle we can easily fall into that place and we have to understand it and the way we can understand it is indifference is in some way shutting the world out and shutting out is painful we will in the end experience dukkha one way or another for example uh, shutting out and kind of sitting in front of the screens um, 
we can do it for a while and it's really okay and so on, but we, if we do too much, we or others, we can see there is pain in that. And so we can recognize indifference because it has dukkha, it has uh, uh, dissatisfaction underneath. Um, so this sort of non-stick saucepan style uh, is not uh, Teflon saucepan is is not um, uh, is not equanimity. So the experience, and just I'll talk just a few more minutes, a couple of minutes, and then we can have questions happily. The um, the experience of equanimity is really that things happen, pleasant and unpleasant, but they don't really work inside us. They don't, they don't work, make tracks. They don't sort of churn the inner life. It's not that we keep things out. Things will happen. We experience them fully, but they don't work and make many responses and stories and issues and building and construction and, and, and life changes and the issues. And we, they, 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 come, they come in, we know them, uh, but um, they pass through the system, we are listening to them, but they don't really stick inside. If we have equanimity, Yeah, yeah. As experience of equanimity is... We let things in, but they don't sit inside and churn away and make results. That that's the, would be the experience of equanimity. We would feel challenges, and nothing happened. Yes, unpleasant, but nothing really happened, and nothing needs to happen. That's the experience of it. So, the last couple of minutes, I want to say... Um, that equanimity is the highest level of uh, the different qualities of Dharma. It's the final of the ten paramis, which are qualities of, uh, 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 of personality, uh, or higher qualities of the personality. It's the final one of the seven factors of awakening, it's the fourth of the Brahma Viharas. So the very high level, it goes, but I th- think it doesn't have to be. We don't have to wait till we're Buddhas in order to be equanimous. We can start now. It, it doesn't mean that equanimity, equanimity isn't there at the beginning uh, in non-attachment. It's there all the way, but, it, but the Buddha picked it out as being a very high level of development. Uh, um, as is in a way a a personality, the awakened personality expresses itself as equanimity. That's what the awakened personality is like. And um, uh, I think we can understand it, and I'm going to throw something out here quite subtle, but I hope it, you can get a feeling of it. I think we can understand it by Awakening as being the dissolving of self-world boundaries. Basically the self is dissolving and what happens then is the whole universe enters where the self was. The self taking, takes a lot of space in the consciousness. It's like this. And if the self is dissolved and dissolving, then the whole universe is there instead. When that happens, the person and the universe actually become one. When that happens, who is going to hurt whom? (laughs) If you and the world are one, who can hurt who? The world going to hurt you? No. Because you are the world. You can hurt the world now, because you are the world. The world can't hurt itself. The, the whole thing breaks down when there's no real self with its 
boundaries and protections and defenses in their kind of awakened sense of oneness with the world and the human being, then um, that's, the, that's the equanimity. That's, in, in a way, the, in the final state. And the Buddha described it very beautifully, um, this uh, non-duality, uh, in a sutta called the, the Sutta of the Goldsmith. And uh, I'll just, I just want to uh, finish with a couple of sentences from the sutta. And he said, um, in the end, what's left is just equanimity. Pure, bright, flexible and shining. Just like a skilled goldsmith will take some gold, prepare the furnace, will heat it, put in the gold, and time to time will burn it, and time to time blow on it, and time to time put water, and time to time just look at it. And the gold will be well refined, will be without impurity, will be flexible and shining, and it can be made into any object or anything you want to make out of it. And this is equanimity. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, happy to have... Uh, we have a few minutes of questions. Yeah. Could you say something about the connection between equanimity and compassion? Or the connection between them? Yeah. So... Um, Compassion is one of the Brahma-viharas and equanimity is another of them. And they're both based on something unlimited. So that um, they both have a quality of, un, of an unlimited, uh, less boundary between you and... Uh, you can't feel compassionate if you're locked in yourself. So... And you can't be equanimous if you're locked in yourself. So both of them have um, a, a quality of being able to be with the world. And the difference is in, there is difference. Compassion is the heart responding to the pain of life. And equanimity is the heart responding to the bigness of life or the totality of things. Um, they are they are connected in the sense that all the four Brahma-viharas are connected. Um, but the, uh, equanimity, for example, is needed along with compassion. Because if, if we're too compassionate, too compassionate, uh, we're just kind of shaking with the pain of the world all the time, and we don't have enough equanimity, we're actually not balanced, we're not steady, we can't be steady in the middle of the pain of life. And so we'll be knocked over, even compassionate, but, but it'll all be too much for us. So the, the, the four Brahma-viharas need to balance each other. And equanimity balances the other qualities of the heart, compassion and also joy. Too much joy, we're just in cloud cuckoo land, going, ah, great, you know. Um, but equanimity balances that. And equanimity balances metta, uh, just the heartful, great, wide, open heart. So equanimity gives us the sense of bigness, the sense of steadiness, the sense of openness, and and sense of um, the real feeling of unlim something unlimited that cannot hurt us, and uh, we cannot be hurt uh, because things are unlimited. And so that's a kind of slightly different quality to equanimity, to to, to compassion. But they they need each other. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Quite a sense of 
I know, I know. Yeah, completely. Well, I think that we have to be careful and really, really limit the... Um, uh, be, be Buddhas, don't be Buddhists. Uh, really, the Buddha wasn't a Buddhist, by the way. <laughs> um, really limit our use of those words and we don't need people to define us and we don't need to define ourselves as Buddhist. It's, uh, I mean, coming especially from Israel, where there's three huge religions that have been fighting each other all the time, so nobody wants a fourth. <laughs> <laughs> so we, have, we don't even have a Buddha statue in our meditation hall. No, nothing. We, we're really secular, and I just think we're in, the Buddha would appreciate that. Uh, he didn't teach Buddhism. So we shouldn't have labels ourselves, but I think we should manifest and act according to the Buddhist teachings in our, in our body and our speech and our mind. So to me, I've not been that interested in, for example, in the Tibetan Mahayana path, although there's unbelievable teachers there, uh, but it's too much taking on another whole, um, for me anyway, and I'm not saying it's not immensely helpful, um, but it's too much. And uh, so I've, my sense is, um, don't, don't, don't be a Buddhist. <laughs> and I've been, I feel it, it, the Dharma from the top of my head and to the toes of my feet the Dharma is all through me and has been for 40 years. But when people tell me, are oh, you a Buddhist? I say, no. I practice Dharma. It's uh, something different. So I think we should, I agree with you completely. We have enough labels in life and undo the labels. By the way, I should mention also before we, um, that not only the book, but I've just opened a school online. And the online school uh, is, uh, ju is just opened like a few days ago uh, and is, th is deep dharma. I'm not so much interested in beginners. There's the online world that is full of beginners stuff and beginners stuff. These are, I, I've started with three courses and um, there are eight talks in each course plus reading materials, plus exercises and so on, and they're all on deep dharma. Uh, one course is on eight meeting, eight talks, literature, etc., exercises, and, and eight meditations on self, on self and no self. So you don't find that so much in, uh, in, in, in the online world. But that was why I opened the school. So it, there's a leaflet there that the information is on the leaflet, um, you look it up also on my website, it'll be, you can find it. And so, you know, it, it's secular. Uh, like it, the book, the book is not be, a Buddha, be Buddhist, it's, it's secular. Does it draw on the sutras? Yeah, it does, but um, uh, not uh, with, a, with, a, with a softness, not with a, uh, every chapter with sutras. It's here and there a quote from a sutta. Just like in my talk tonight. Um, when needed, I will quote a sutta, but uh, also I'll quote Wordsworth, T.S. Eliot, <laughs> Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. 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 Using the riddles. Because I know, like, I am an all around agnostic. Mm. I don't call myself Buddhist or anything else. If there's any label I use for myself as an agnostic, and as an agnostic, and I'm out there in the world, I couldn't care less what label anybody has on themselves. I ignore the labels. Mm.
in fact, um, so I've been interested in equanimity for a long time. Mm. Every time there's anyone talking about it, I'm learning for it. <laughs> I'm not a regular attendee here, but because I knew it's equanimity, that's why I kind of rushed to get here. But so it is, um, in fact, it, I, I know what it is, but I'm not sure if it's really realistic that any person really achieved it in reality, like, do you really know anyone who has achieved it? And tied to that is, um, you may laugh at this, but is there any, I'm guessing that the way to get to it, if it is realistic and if it is achievable, is by lots and lots of meditation, which takes lots of and lots of time. Is there any shortcut? <laughs> <laughs> Of course, um, I think, first of all, um, we don't want to put equanimity on the top of the highest, highest tree and then say nobody can get there. So equanimity is a quality that we can experience, all of us here right now in this room, in our lives. And, but it goes on and on, more subtle, more subtle, more subtle indeed. And on the subtler places that I was talking about, yes, there, of course there are people who are there. Uh, it isn't, but we have to be careful not to put equanimity in as, as sort of a, um, as, an, as a divine. It's a bit like compassion. You can say, yeah, ultimate compassion is, um, needs years of practice. But we can be compassionate. Um, so, yes, there are people that have reached, have a very uh, deep level of equanimity, of course. And it's definitely doable. I think uh, if we practice our meditation in a way, even the kind of meditation I was guiding here, to be less uh, busy with the pleasant-unpleasant and be l less attached to what we want to happen and trying to control life um, we'll live more happily and we will experience equanimity it grows it's, it's, it's part of the Buddhist path it's a very central part so it grows by us being less busy with selecting the, 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 the comfort and the good and the, what I need and what I have to have and what's important and the, it grows so I don't think you need years and years and years of meditation, and only then. It's not like that. It's simply like, in a way, everything in the Dharma, it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. So we can really enjoy. The Buddha said that it's good at the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. That's the, Buddha, the Buddha's words. And indeed, it's like that. So it gets more subtle and more deep all the time. Definitely doable. In this lifetime. <laughs> Completely in this lifetime. Otherwise I wouldn't be here. <laughs> so it's getting to be nine o'clock. Uh, maybe two minutes if there's one last question. Um, and then I'm going to be here signing books. Anyone wants me to sign a book, whatever. I, I'm, I'm hanging around and anyone wants to ask me something, of course you can. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's indeed a question that we could start a whole evening on that. Um, 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 I think we have to be very uh, realistic. And 
if we go to the non-dual teachings, Dzogchen, Krishnamurti, uh, non-dual Advaita teachers like Mithnisakatuda Maharaj or Ramana Maharshi, huge inspiration there. No doubt they can inspire us hugely. And I think those voices should be there in our life. However, they ca we cannot afford to leave it at that. Because otherwise, we're going to live in a duality with having a sort of an ultimate place, uh, like Krishnamurti said, uh, you can't fix this and fix this and fix this and fix this, you have to, in, because the whole thing, you have to change your brain, but we'll be left with this message of changing your brain, and meanwhile we'll be suffering and struggling, and life will be, and, and, and we'll be uh, kind of having an idealization uh, of perfection. And then our, uh, but we will not be able to deal with the real, our real life problems. So my sense is we need to both climb up the mountain from the bottom and remember the peak. Not to forget the peak and just be climbing, 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 climbing. The Buddha was the best non-dual teacher. Don't need Krishnamurti. The Buddha also was a non-dual teacher. But he gave so much good method at the same time and said... Climb the mountain, but never forget there's the peak up there. The peak will inspire you. You don't have to be the, in the Yiddish, uh, Jewish language schlepping. Maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's also America, yeah? Okay. <laughs> you, you, it's not just to schlep this whole, uh, this whole um, uh, path. Uh, you need the inspiration, and it's there with you. But uh, I think that you need method and no method to be balanced. And again, there's a whole chapter, or more than one chapter, in my book about that. Thank you. Great. Wonderful. Pleasure. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.